You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome back, devoted listeners. Before I jump in today, I think it was last week or maybe it was the week before, I mentioned that we're going to be doing another study at Athe Women, and we're going to be in Galatians this time. It's going to be so good. I think I kind of mentioned it on the fly and was totally not prepared to actually give you any real factual information. So I actually did some work this time and asked what these dates really are so I can give you some tangible information here. But the Galatian study, No Other Gospel, is going to be coming up Signups will start on March 6th, so that will be soon. You can do that at athecreek.com on the women's ministry page. So how these studies work, if you didn't join us for our Psalm 119 study that we did in the fall, we have all kinds of ways you guys can get in on this. So if you just are somebody that just wants to do the study on your own, great. You can go to the website and you can just buy the book. You don't even have to sign up for that. You just buy the book and and do your thing. The teachings for it that we will be doing with all the groups will still be online. So you could still watch those on your own, or maybe you just want to assemble your own group even that does that apart from what we're kind of organizing. The other way to do it is to go in, actually sign up and get your book and all that good stuff. And then we have options there too. You can either come in person. They're going to be on Tuesday evenings and it's just an eight week study. I kind of like these shorter commitments because I kind of feel like, you know, anybody can commit to something for eight weeks, right? And it gives you a chance to go, hey, do I have eight weeks right now? Or is my life a little bit crazy? And maybe I need to, you know, just get the book for now and do the study a little bit later. That's totally fine. But you can come in person and then we have small groups there. Or if you're like, you know, I'm just not comfortable being in person yet, or I can't be, for whatever reason. Um, maybe you're not local here in Portland. We have people joining us from Texas and Alaska and Washington and stuff here on the and on the Bible studies and on the podcast and just all over the country. So maybe you still want to be part of the Galatians No Other Gospel study, but you can't actually be here in person. But we have virtual groups, guys. So if you want to do that, then you sign up and then we'll kind of plug you into a virtual group that you guys do your small group portion as a a Zoom group that meets. So I love that we have that option. Also, just a fun little bonus thing. You guys on the podcast are hearing about this, I think for the first time, but before this comes out, but that the team put together a little bonus print. It's a scripture. They just did a beautiful job on it. And if you order your Galatians No Other Gospel Bible Study book before March 17th, you're going to get that extra print for free. So anyway, that's just a fun thing. Signups will be coming up March 6th. Then eight-week study will begin on April 6th. So that's going to be fun. I hope you guys can join us on that. So today I'm going to start a fun little series. Okay, I think it's fun. We're going to do a couple weeks here on some things in the Proverbs. If you were able to join us for Devoted Live, and to be fair, I just feel like because I continue to pray about the things I'm going to speak when I'm recording this right now, I've not actually given Devoted Live yet. But Devoted Live is coming up for me. But if when you're listening to this, it's going to be in your rearview mirror. And at this point, what the Lord has laid on my heart to talk about will sort of be an unintentional kickoff to this little proverb series. Didn't plan it that way, but again, the Lord plans these things far better than I do. So if you didn't get a chance to be at Devoted Live, you can watch it online. You can go to our Athe YouTube channel and, and catch up. But that kind of started off this whole 
idea that the Lord was resting on my heart for Proverbs. And I I just love Proverbs, guys. I feel like Proverbs is sort of a, it's a coming home book for me. And partly this is because this has been such a core part of my husband and I's like devotion life with our kids. And I, I can't take credit for this. This truly goes to my husband, Chris. And actually, even further back than that, he had a teacher when he was in middle school that taught him to do Proverbs this way. And he then he just kind of carried it on with his kids. So this literally goes back to when my husband was in eighth grade, right? But you'll notice in the Proverbs, there's how many chapters? There's 31 chapters. And most months, we've got either 30 or 31 days in the month. And so in so many ways, I feel like that the Proverbs are sort of a perfectly curated devotional with the author being God. <laughs> you know, it's so cool, which is so funny to me. You know, we we go through these things where we're like, oh, we want a new devotional. We want to do this. And I'm not knocking devotionals. I use some that are great. But I do love that here we have these 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs that are so practical. So I do feel like it's sort of just this curated devotional that we have in, in our own Bibles. But the Proverbs are just, they're so super practical. And you know how we've always done this in our house is we read whatever the day of the week is. is if, if it's the 6th, then we're reading Proverbs 6. If it's the 15th, we're reading the 15th. So we read the Proverbs all together. And then uh, it's gone back and forth. Sometimes my husband picks a verse that pops out and we just focus on one single verse or maybe two. Sometimes it'll be the boys. It was like, hey, guys, yeah, so which one would you like to talk about, you know, today? But again, Proverbs are so practical. Man, they they just, they really get into the nitty gritty. But I wanted to look at these because there's my love for Proverbs right there. But let's talk about what it is. Proverbs is one of the wisdom literature books in the Bible with Ecclesiastes and, and some of the Psalms. I mean, but they're it's called wisdom literature. And I think something that is important to point out is that Proverbs are not actually promises. I say this, and honestly, I think I really struggled with that one. I don't know that I really embraced that or even remotely dialed in that concept early on. You know, my my dad growing up, he would often quote Proverbs 22, 6 that says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Great. But honestly, the way my dad kind of said it, it was sort of more like this is a promise, not a principle. And you know how when you hear things and, and that's just how you've always heard it growing up, it's a little hard to let go of that part of like, well, wait, what are you saying? Are you saying that that's not true? You know, that that down the road, at least at some point, they're going to turn back to the Lord? Well, maybe, but maybe not. And I, and I think this is where it's so important that we take all of Scripture in its context and, and we use the full counsel of Scripture because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And, you know, if we find something in the Proverbs that is very consistent with another place in Scripture that be, makes it be exactly that, be a promise, then that's one thing. But we have to be careful to not just take these things and just, you know, that's a stamp and go, okay, this is how it's going to work out, right? So, you know, let's just take that one, for example. Are we to train up our kids in the way they should go? Well, that's one of those that we can definitely point to other places in Scripture that would also give us those same types of instruction. Isaiah thirty-eight nineteen says, the father makes known to the children your faithfulness. Okay, that's our job as parents. Make known the faithfulness of God to our kids. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. This is talking about the law, the commandments, the word, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Okay, so clear instruction, right? 
But here's the thing. Is it a promise necessarily that if we do our job as parents to the best of our ability, that our kids are never going to go their own way? Well, I, I think we know that that just isn't the way that works. There's this funny little thing that the Bible tells us about called free will. And we individually choose Christ or we individually don't choose Christ. So our parents, our training, they can't make that choice for us. At some point, you know that regardless if if you had a godly parent growing up or you did not have a godly parent growing up, you know that at some point that choice became your own to accept Christ and his work on the cross and the forgiveness of your sins. You had to choose that. I had to choose that. So is this concept that it's in the Proverbs, this principle, as I like to refer to it, is it a good one? Oh, yeah, this is a great one because we should be training our kids in the way they should go. I think there's some interesting examples of when this didn't go right. My husband keeps a list in his Bible, and this cracked me up. This is what he calls it. But it says, great men with loser sons. He has that in one of his back pages of his Bible. Because here's the thing. You have these examples in Scripture of really great men, whether they were kings or whoever they were, but they they were good. It seemed like, you know, Scripture says that they walked in the ways of the Lord and they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then you'll read about later some of their kiddos and you're going, wow, something really did not go right there. Now, of course, in some of these examples I'll give you, you're sort of inferring that the parent was raising them you know, according to the Lord, we're just inferring. So I'm, these are not battlefields I would die on by any stretch, but they're interesting to me. You know, you have you have Hezekiah, who was a good king, and he did so much to reform and bring the people back to the temple worship, and it, it was good. Yet, one of his sons was Manasseh, the worst, the most wicked king that ever served in Israel. You have Samuel's sons. Oh, goodness. Samuel's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We actually did a whole podcast on these guys one time. But in 1 Samuel 8, 3, it says his sons, meaning Samuel, did not walk in his ways. They turned aside to their own gain. Okay, here's Samuel, who is, he is the priest. His sons, this is like the first thing in the Bible of PK kids, right? The kids that just absolutely did not walk in the way they were raised. Gideon's another one. Gideon was a good judge in Israel, and one of his sons, Abimelech, murders all his brothers in Judges 9. Great story, right? So again, like I said, you're inferring some things in how these people are growing up, being trained up. So no, I would not die on this battlefield. But I think even apart from that, we have just examples even probably from our own life. Or maybe it's even in your own family of you see this this family like a godly set of parents Maybe that was you, mom, who was just faithfully pouring into your kiddo day in and day in and day in. And at some point, they just walked away from the Lord. And of course, we're always encouraged to continue to be praying for those kids or loved ones or family members that have walked away, praying that they do return. But I guess what I'm putting out here is just to not pluck a proverb out and put it as a promise on your life without seeing how it is congruent with the rest of scripture, because I think you'll be really disappointed. And that doesn't shock me. It doesn't sadden me, I guess, in that we can't use the Proverbs that way, because the Lord's ways are not our ways. 
we say that all the time. We, I remind you guys of that scripture. I remind myself of that scripture. And we can often just look at scripture, take a little proverb here, and then think, man, I, I just want to claim that and say, that's my thing. And it's all just going to turn out. Well, the way the Lord wants that to turn out might just look very different than what we had thought would be best. The Proverbs kind of answers this tricky question itself. If you read all of Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to read a little, the first several verses of chapter one in just a second. But, you know, it even says in verse 28, it says, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. And that knowledge, wisdom, fear of the Lord, that's really what we're going to spend most of this podcast on today. But that is not really sounding like the door is always open to the wayward son or daughter that might walk away. It doesn't. And I know that is sad. But we know that the spirit will not always strive with man. We're told that early in Genesis. So it's still our job. It's still an instruction of scripture in several different places to continue to train up our kids in the way they should go. But knowing that it's still on their own free will and their choice on what they do with that. So just because it isn't a promise in the way that we would like it to be, it doesn't negate the importance of the principle for sure. So, and not to belabor this point too much, but I just think it's really important for us to, as we are women that strive to be just biblically literate and really want to understand rightly, I just wanted to point out another one of these, Proverbs 11, 8. Okay, it says, the righteous is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead. Okay, well, that sounds pretty good. But if you're taking that for a promise you're going to be disappointed, right? Because basically that's going to give us the that the righteous will just be trouble-free. No big deal. Life will be easy. You'll be delivered. I do love that here in scripture, even if you just take that part, the righteous are delivered from trouble. Eventually, are the righteous delivered from trouble? Yeah, absolutely. Eventually. Now, eternally, we are delivered from our trouble. But if you take that to be a promise of in the here and now, you're going to be delivered from trouble, you're going to be really disappointed by that. And we know that from other places in Scripture. How would that promise have worked out for Paul? Prison, beheaded, how would that promise have worked out for Jesus? I don't think people would look at him and go, that was a trouble-free life and he was delivered. Instead, the Word does promise us in John 16, 33, what Jesus is telling his disciples, and he says, in this world, you will have trouble. So there's a promise, right? It just won't always work out the way that we think that it should. And maybe not even see the wicked getting their trouble coming to them, like it says there. Now, we may. We do know that in other places in Scripture, because it says that be sure of this, your sin will find you out. And we know that whatsoever a man sows, will he reap. So those are consistent things with Scripture. But does it mean that you are just going to be able to watch the wicked just walk into the trouble that they deserve? Yeah, probably not. Maybe, but not always. So. Maybe not the blanket promises that sometimes I get, you know, etched on the pillow, but really, really valuable principles and so many good things that we get from the Proverbs. So let's look at what the Proverbs are for sure. And here's where you can just go straight to chapter one and you're going to read the first. I'm going to read several of these first verses because Proverbs just tells us very clearly what they are. And it begins and it says, Proverbs 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom, here's what the Proverbs are for, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, 
to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So there, right there, that's what the proverbs are. They're the sayings of the wise, the words of the wise to receive instruction, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. That's what this book is all about. And I got to throw in there verse seven of chapter one, two, because that's really what couches all of this. And it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's so key right there. So with that sort of really super long introduction to what the Proverbs are and what they aren't, I want to spend this first episode in the Proverbs series just talking about this these core tenets of Proverbs that are mentioned in these first seven verses, wisdom, instruction, understanding, knowledge, discretion, all of that. And then also to see how they're really just sitting in this, what was in verse seven there, the fear of the Lord. So let's start with the fear of the Lord part, because I love this one, and yet it's really misunderstood. Fear. Fear, we just have such a totally different understanding of it in our day. I I think particularly even recently, I just think we're in a, a culture of fear. Everybody's afraid of all kinds of things. So when you take that cultural worldly concept of what fear is, and then you overlay it on scripture, when you read the fear of the Lord, you can have a confusing picture of what is meant by that. So the fear of the Lord is not necessarily something that is just terrifying and scary. Now, there is that to it. But when the Bible tells us to fear the Lord, it's a feeling, it says, of profound reverence and respect is what the definition says. And I I really love that it throws profound reverence. Reverence is a weighty word for sure. And I don't think that we give that one quite its weight either. But profound reverence. Because this, I, I don't want to just spit out, you know, sort of a fear of the Lord Christian phrase and not have us pause at what the weightiness of that is, you know, because th- this is cool because this is where we get some really good gospel news, I think, out of this, too. Why should we have this profound reverence for the Lord? I mean, why would we do that? Well, so many reasons. I mean, we could look at just creation alone, and it's going to speak to the power of God. I mean, the vastness, the intricacies of the things we just see when we open our door in the morning, if you really stopped and thought about it, you should have a profound reverence to the creator that did all that. But it can even go beyond. Matthew 10, 28 is... If you want to say a scary verse, here you go. But Matthew 10, 28, it says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, how's that for a not fluffy verse, right? But it's it's scripture. We really need to take that there. All these things that culturally we try to, where, you know, we get scared of or we're afraid of and even die, dying of a disease or cancer or whatever it may be, for some, that is the worst possible fear ever. But what Jesus is saying in Matthew here is don't fear those things. Don't fear the things that can destroy just the body, but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a weighty verse right there. Does that give you kind of a profound reverence to the one that can hold that kind of power to do that? It speaks so clearly. But this perspective, I think, on fear is just really important. 
it displays the very real power and, you know, awesomeness of our God. But I think another equally important part of it is that because of our sin, we ought to really deserve the total terror of our eternal soul, if not because of the gospel. And so I I love that we kind of get both of these. We get to juxtapose these two things because truly our sin is actually so bad that that should scare us. That should scare us that what, what would we do? But see, then we have the gospel. We have this good news that Jesus died for those sins so that we don't have to pay that penalty. That is a fear. Again, I love the profound reverence that the Lord would do that, that he can pay a sacrifice that wipes out our sin. That's a profound reverence. That's, that is where we need to look rightly at the fear of the Lord. So I think it's important to let this fear of God kind of sit in the background or maybe in the foreground as we look to the aim of much of the Proverbs, because what you're going to read throughout the Proverbs over and over is wisdom, discernment, prudence. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So that's where all of this starts is with the fear of the Lord. So Proverbs 2 is probably one of my favorites that just starts focusing on all the value of wisdom. But you're just going to see wisdom. It's just sprinkled all through Proverbs. It's 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 going to be everywhere. It's the purpose of it. But I want to read to you kind of a good section of Proverbs 2 because I think it just gives us so much in this. But chapter 2, verse 1 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's why I have to put the the fear of the Lord and the wisdom pieces together because you you can just see every so many of the verses, it goes hand in hand, having to have this understanding, right understanding of the fear of the Lord and how that is where wisdom begins. But the couple things that I love about the these words did you hear all the different words here we've got discernment is in there um you hear prudence discretion understanding there's so many different words i'll give you a couple definitions cuz you know that aim just loves her dictionary but you know discernment that one is just clearness and judgment insight to distinguish or recognize okay it, discernment is actually not in the esv so you didn't hear me read that in that one but it, it does appear in other translations but discernment is within the definition of wisdom. And so I want to read you what this one is, because it kind of encompasses all of these words you hear, discretion and understanding, all of them are together. But wisdom is defined as forming a sound judgment on a matter, knowledge digested by thought, discernment based on experience or discretion. So you, you get them all there. You know, you hear the judgment in there, you hear knowledge, you hear discernment and discretion all within this word wisdom. It's kind of the culmination of all of those. But really, while there's nuance to each of those words when they're used throughout the text, you need to still kind of go back to wisdom. That's what this is talking about. And when you hear wisdom, you need to go back to the precursor is the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So they're so key because they just go so hand in hand. So getting wisdom can sound really, I don't know, everybody wants to make wise decisions. We want to do those things. How do we get wisdom? In James 1.5, that's where that verse is that says, if any lacks wisdom, 
let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And then verse six, it says, but let him ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And it goes on to say that man will not receive anything and that he's unstable. It's not a good picture. Ask, that's what it's telling us to do. That, you know, isn't it funny how complicated we try to make making the wise decision be? And I'm not saying that our life decisions aren't hard sometimes. Absolutely, they are. But sometimes I do wonder if I overthink it just a smidge because we need to ask. It's saying we should ask. But then I think that next part of the verse, this is this is where I get a little convicted because then it says, but let him ask in faith. So meaning you need to ask the Lord knowing you're going to receive wisdom, knowing that he is going to give you the wisdom and discernment for that situation that you're in. Believe that he's going to give that to you. I love that, that faith is a piece to that whole puzzle of how we get wisdom. And wisdom and discernment, these two issues, these are just so vital to our faith right now. There's a Spurgeon quote that he said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. That is so well said, I think. You are going to daily, daily come across something. I don't care if it's in an email, if it's in a news post, if it's in something you heard a friend say that should put up some red flags or at least your antenna, your discernment antenna a little bit to go, ooh, is this right or is this almost right? I want to give you a quick example. This one is a little bit weightier, I suppose, but but it's a big deal. So this is a quote that a friend actually sent me one time. And this is what this person said. They said, Quote, you cannot claim both. And here's what they said you cannot claim both of. Are you ready? Okay. You cannot practice the traditional American Christianity that supports the continued marginalization, oppression, and abuse of others based on race, sexual orientation, gender, or ability, while at the same time claiming the unconditional, merciful, and forgiving Christianity of Christ. Which will you choose? Boy, okay. When I read like this, things like this, I have so many questions. So gals, you really got to bring your discernment to a game here because a lot of things are being said here. But when you read something like this, when you hear something like this, the first thing I hope that we do is that we just ask the spirit to do exactly what James 1.5 said, to give us wisdom. And we know that he will give generously because in a statement like this what and so many others, like it, what what is it that they're saying here? So just in this particular example, the thing they are saying that this quote, traditional American Christianity, which I don't really know what that means, but it sounds bad to me, according to this definition, right? Could we agree on that? I mean, if it, if the traditional American Christianity is that they support marginalization, oppression, and abuse of anyone, I'm going to go ahead and just take a leap that that's bad. So no thanks, don't really want to have any part of that. So if that's what you're calling traditional American Christianity, then I would say, yeah, let's repent. And that's not the direction we want to go. But usually, usually, guys, how traditional Christianity is defined in these contexts is not by loving to others, but to embrace and be inclusive of the sin of others. And if, and here's where the gauntlet will get thrown down on you, but if you dare to define sin as sin, and as the Bible defines sin, 
on a host of issues, guys. It's, you know, sometimes people just lump this in as being the issue with homosexuality or but there's all kinds of sexual sin that is involved in that living together before you're married, whatever the sin is, there is people that are going to say that's not really sin. And it is not a leap, guys, if you follow some of these people, which please don't. That's where these things lead. They 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 do not define sin as being sin as the Bible defines it. So what they are saying then is if you dare define sin as sin, the truth of the Bible, then they're saying you cannot claim the merciful, forgiving Jesus. That's what they're telling you. So here we go. Right versus the almost right. You know, because there's pieces of this that that you get. Is Jesus forgiving and merciful? Absolutely. We see that all over in scripture. Does believing that Jesus is those things mean that we openly embrace our sinful natures? Okay, and that's where it comes down. Because no, we don't embrace the sin in our life. Sometimes to me, it's just kind of shocking that these ideas are embraced where we can think that the Jesus, the merciful, forgiving Jesus that they're referencing, that we all know, that that Jesus, whose very purpose was to come and die because our sin was so, so bad and so necessary to be dealt with, that we would not acknowledge and totally repudiate the sin that called for such drastic action. I mean, do you ever think about that? I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But it seems that we are commending and we are loving and so thankful of the fact that Jesus did come to die for our sin, that he is forgiving, that he is loving enough to do that. But then we don't we don't have an abhorrence for the sin that made him do that. Now, it's a whole nother episode because truly the the route that those folks go on is because they actually don't think a lot of times that the, and I don't want to say blanket statement for every one of them, but many fall into the camp that they actually don't think the atonement was necessary. And again, it goes back to how they define sin. So it's a difficult argument, but it actually shouldn't be, right? Because really what that is all sounding in, have you ever heard anybody say the term logical fallacy? Or that sounds, I'm so far from being even remotely good at philosophical arguments, but I do understand what a logical fallacy is. And I honestly, as much as that sounds like a, just a fancy word, it's a good one to know. You know, sometimes people will refer to it as a, a straw man. And it's just the idea that that they misrepresent the idea enough so that it's easier to attack. And in this case, what they're trying to attack is traditional American Christianity, that if you ascribe to traditional American Christianity, you cannot ascribe to accepting Jesus and his forgiveness and his being merciful, that you can't do those things. Well, it's a logical fallacy. It's That does not work. And that is just one example of literally thousands. I'm sure you guys could think of so many that maybe they're little sayings or different things that are almost right. Maybe they even have an element of truth to them. But at the end of the day, they're wrong. And, and the point is, is that discernment is what's going to help you know that right from the almost right. But at the same time, if it's almost right, it's actually totally wrong, too. <laughs> I think sometimes it's easy to just you want we want to give it as much merit as we can. And sure, you want to acknowledge the things that are excellent. And let's let's take the things that are true out of those statements. But I would caution us to be really, really careful down some of the roads that these folks can take you with arguments like that. And the thing is, I don't think we need to go out and research all these crazy ideas and arguments. I don't. I don't even I don't think you have to 
become amazing at understanding how different philosophical arguments work or don't work. Not really. I don't understand them all. I think we need to do what Proverbs tells us to do. And that big section I read you guys in chapter two, it said things like, seek it like silver, search for it as for hidden treasure. It tells you to kind of get in and, and get busy about finding wisdom. And where do we want to find it? And then that Proverbs 2, 6, it answers that question. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That's our answer. We know that what comes from the mouth of the Lord is wisdom. And what is that? That's that's the word. That's what we have in front of us. 2 Timothy 3.16 is that famous passage that says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture. I think what I love about that is sometimes when we're reading something like Proverbs in the Old Testament, we can forget that Solomon, he is the author of most of the Proverbs, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Proverbs, just like Paul was inspired. All scripture, 2 Timothy says, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, all those things. And, you know, if you don't, you know, in some of our apologetics discussions, we've we've probably covered this too, but Jesus referred to the scriptures. What he was referring to as scripture was the Old Testament. So, What you read in the Proverbs, absolutely part of the canon of Scripture, absolutely inspired. And we can take that as the words from his mouth, like Proverbs 2, 6 says, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So what I am hoping that I encourage you guys to do and what I guard myself against is sort of the trap of falling down the path of, I need to research this person and this this argument and all of those things. There is some merit to doing that because I I don't, especially if you're a mom and you're thinking like, I want to be doing some equipping for my kids so that if they do hear these arguments out there, you don't want them to hear it for the first time without being prepared biblically for what the responses are to those. And there are responses to those things. So I do think that there are merits to that. I'm not saying like, stay in a bubble, don't even learn about any of these types of things. I get that. But I think we can get so quickly out of proportion and get our ratios off with where the real wisdom comes from. Because that's the, that's the thing we focus here on the Devoted Podcast so much, is being really devoted to the Word. And, and that means that you're not just getting the Word on Sundays and, you know, your midweek study or whatever, but that you're like daily getting into the Word yourself. And I'm, I really, please don't hear that as me trying to lay like a really big trip on you for that, because you know that's not my heart. Go back and listen to tons of other episodes where we talk about different ways, different seasons of life that you're in that you can still get into the Word. But it's so important to have that for yourself. And I I think I just keep feeling the weight of it even more in these days that just feel we feel kind of pressed a little bit and so important for us to really be able to seek wisdom, to search for it like hidden treasure. But I even love that picture of the hidden treasure, because can you imagine opening your Bible with that sort of anticipation? Like, you know, this is going to be the greatest Nordstrom half yearly sale ever. You know, kind of, I mean, we're talking like major anticipation. You're so excited for the treasure that you're going to discover. For me, all of us, we fall into those traps where we don't have that same zeal for scripture. And there's so much that's that's here. 
And we need to do what James 1, 5 says and, and ask the Lord for wisdom. Because I think that the Spirit will open our eyes to the things that He wants us to see in His Word. And even ask for, Lord, make your Word be as hidden treasure to me. So wisdom, beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. There's just a quick glance at the first part that I wanted to do in this proverb series. And I, and I love starting with this one because I feel like wisdom, because it's all throughout Proverbs, it is wisdom literature, so that would make sense. And the fear of the Lord, it just sort of provides this uh, a good springboard for what all of these other really practical principles that we're going to look at over the next couple of episodes. So I, I felt like it was a really good place to start. We did another episode. If you have questions more about the fear of the Lord issue, we talked, I think we called it fear is a liar, maybe. So we did another episode where I think I talked about that more. And I certainly wouldn't just go with the things that I say, find good Bible teaching. Go on ethycreek.com and download some sermons that are just on that particular issue if you're really concerned. Because I think that's the other thing that I get so concerned with. That quote that I read earlier, do folks realize the danger in the teaching that was there? See, if if they're rooted in solid doctrine, if they're part of a good church that is teaching the Bible, I think you'll recognize that for what it is. But if you read that and you're like, oh, yeah, I need to listen to that, then I would really encourage you to examine what your doctrine looks like. And are you going to the Bible? Are you actually examining those things for yourself? Please don't take doctrine from that. I wanted to end with this one verse here, Proverbs 31.30. That's the, the famous Proverbs 31 chapter, you know, all about the virtuous woman. It says, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I I think I just wanted to end on that just because I, I hope it adjusts our perspective as women on the importance of this one, the fear of the Lord, wisdom, knowledge, knowing there's so many things that are distracting to us, whether it's that quote or whether it's some other book somebody gave you or whatever, we can get caught up. But this one thing, the fear of the Lord, rightly understanding that as the beginning of knowledge and understanding is just so important. Like that'll just give you such a good footing for what you're doing. And it's the whole word. It's all throughout the Council of Scripture. So I love that. So I'll be back next week with another principle of Proverbs in this series. And we're going to do one as it relates to our words and our work. So I'm excited about that. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at avcreek.com.